It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, we're continuing our build up to what I believe could be Arsenal's biggest game in the last decade up until now. Um, and that might sound like a bit of an extravagant statement. It might sound a little bit over the top, but I'm going to explain the reasons why I feel that way and uh, be providing you guys some updates on the news around this one. Uh, of course, the big news coming out of the Slavia Prague camp is that Andre Kudela, uh, the man who uh, racially abused Glenn Kamara, has been banned for 10 games. Uh, and that includes all games in UEFA competition for racist behaviour. And Glenn Kamara, the player who was on the receiving end of the abuse, has uh, been banned for three games himself for apparently assaulting the player. So it's um, it, this doesn't sit right with me. You know, I talked about the need for a, a stricter punishment, a harsher punishment, something that would actually reflect the severity of the incident and something that would prove as a deterrent to those who, who racially abuse others, particularly in the game of football that we all love, where there's absolutely no place for anything else other than sport. So it's... Um, it's really disappointing uh, that that ban is kind of all that Andre Kudela has received. I, I felt that Slavia Prague as a football club should have been sanctioned because it wasn't just what occurred on the pitch uh, in that game. There was obviously the follow-up, um, sort of the behaviour in the aftermath of that was was quite frankly unacceptable from Slavia. You know, players uh, sort of refusing to... Um, even acknowledge that something may have happened and obviously defending their teammate, but to a degree, I mean, come on. Um, you know, we saw Slavia Prague ultras hold up banners and take pictures of them with racial slurs um, aimed at Glenn Camera. So it's just been a whole shit show. And to be honest, I'd have liked to have seen UEFA do something stronger and something that I believe will act as a deterrent in the future. And I don't think this cuts it. Let's uh, let's talk about um, some of the updates that Mikel Arteta gave. And we talked about the press conference in detail on the show we did last. So I'm not going to go into it too much. But of course, team news wise, there are still uh, uh, doubts, sorry, over Martin Erdegaard and uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. None of them trained yesterday. Uh, that is Wednesday. None of them trained on Wednesday. Um, and Mikel Arteta wasn't sure. Uh, sorry, none of them trained on Tuesday and Mikel Arteta wasn't sure if they were going to train on Wednesday. So um, a lot to kind of uh, to think about for the boss and a lot in terms of the team news is still, of course, up in the air. There are a few questions going into this one. What do we do at left back? Who do we play up front? Who plays in those three positions in behind the striker? Is Martinelli deserving of a start? after his display at Sheffield United? Lots and lots for Mikel Arteta to mull over. But before... We get into that. 
I made a statement at the start of the podcast. I called this potentially Arsenal's biggest game in the last decade. And I'll tell you why I feel that way. First of all, you've got Arsenal in a completely unacceptable league position, a league position that doesn't currently get us into Europe next year. What does that mean for the club moving forward? To not be in Europe would see our finances take a major dent and our financial situation already is quite precarious. It's quite unhealthy and it is likely to limit us and uh, severely handicap us in the upcoming transfer window. We know that Arsenal need to do further business and we know that Arsenal really, if they want to get back to where they need to be, need to do significant transfer business. And the fact that we will be um, or could potentially be out of Europe altogether next season might be a bit of a blessing in the sense of only having to play one game a week, being able to spend more time on the training ground without traveling, etc., etc. But you feel like it would really dent Mikel Arteta's project in terms of progressing it quicker. I wonder if in that case, the Cronkies would, would do something to help uh, speed things up. Would they either restructure finance or or put their hands in their own pockets to try and help Arsenal achieve what they need to achieve in the transfer window? I don't know. But the reason I talk about this being our biggest game uh, over the next, sort of for the last decade is because Arsenal have never so, you know, severely been staring in the face of the prospect of no European football. Yes, we've missed out on the top four a few times, but we've never been in a position like we are now where we could be without Europe altogether. And financially, when we're already going for a difficult period, that could have a massive impact on what the club are able to do going forward. I think it could have a massive impact on the future of Mikel Arteta as well. And if Mikel Arteta is moved on, it means Arsenal start again. And there will be some out there who will feel that there's other managers who could do just as good, if not a better job, somebody more experienced, perhaps. But this is a a big job at Arsenal. And um, I think having put Mikel Arteta in there, everybody knows my feelings. I think you've got to give him a bit more time and you've got to leave him there. But for Mikel Arteta to succeed, Arsenal need to keep improving the squad. For his ideas to be implemented and then carried out correctly, Arsenal need to improve the squad. And if Arsenal don't qualify for European football next season, there's a good chance that the transfer targets that Mikel Arteta currently has in mind could become out of reach. And this is where we see the significance of this Europa League run. This is when I say to people that this Europa League is key. It's massive. It's huge for us. As a football club, not just for right now, but for the next few seasons and for the direction in which we're going to travel. This campaign is key and it's why I urge every Arsenal fan to get behind the team, get behind the manager at least for now, support Arsenal and let's go to Prague and do the job. It's not an impossible task by any stretch of the imagination. Slavia Prague have a very impressive home record. And I know that has worried a lot of Arsenal fans and convinced a lot of Arsenal fans that we stand no chance of going out there and, and you know, achieving progression. But the, the deal is, 
Arsenal are a better football team than Slavia Prague. Arsenal dominated the first leg. Arsenal had the chances to put Slavia Prague away. Arsenal conceded very little in terms of chances against. Unfortunately, we got punished. Slavia were clinical when their opportunity came along and Arsenal weren't so clinical. And that's why we are where we are now. But Arsenal are not out of this. Arsenal have a great chance of progressing and meeting most likely Villarreal in the next round. Our old friend Unai Emery. But even then, you'd still fancy Arsenal to progress past Villarreal. So we have a real chance to get to a European final, another European final. But if we do, we've got to make it count this time. Not just for the glory, not just for the silverware, but for the future of the football club and for the direction in which we're going to go. And getting back into Europe, in particular the Champions League, which is, of course, obviously what the Europa League offers. It offers a route back into the Champions League. Being back in the Champions League and the finance that comes with it would allow Arsenal to accelerate in terms of the project that we're currently seeing. Would it allow Arsenal to go out and spend greater funds on players and improve the squad quicker? Perhaps we'd even be able to do what we could do over two windows in one. Who knows? But it's really important that we secure that finance. Even the Europa League finances are a hell of a lot better than nothing. But we've got to keep going in this Europa League. We have to. And that is why I say that this game is huge. It's absolutely massive. I guess one of the big questions going into the game is, um, is what Mikel Arteta does at left back. And we saw him tinker with the team against Sheffield United. We saw him play Granit Xhaka in kind of a left-back role. I mean, having watched it back again and, and conducted the tactical analysis on it, it wasn't the traditional left-back position in which Granit Xhaka played. It was more like a left-centre-back. And you saw him make other adjustments in order to compensate for that. You saw Danny Ceballos often receiving the ball uh, on the left-hand side, which actually suited him as well. But do you play Granit Xhaka there? Do you unsettle us in a couple of positions, i.e. playing a centre midfielder at left back or left centre back. And then also the consequences of taking Xhaka out of the midfield, as we've seen in recent months, can be quite severe as well. So what would you do if you were Mikel Arteta? I think for me, it's one that he's really got to sit and think hard about. And it's one that has the potential to bring him a hell of a lot of criticism if it goes wrong. So I think that's the big thing for Mikel Arteta, deciding what to do at left-back. I think up front, I think the fact that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at the time of recording hasn't trained, didn't train on Tuesday. Um, there was doubts over whether he was going to train on Wednesday. Makes it a no-brainer for me. It means Alexander Lacazette should be the striker, should start up front. But then again, we're looking at the positions in behind him. Who plays there? You know, Bukayo Saka, I thought, did pretty well in the number 10 position. But I've got to factor in the fact that it was Sheffield United because that is significant. Not a particularly strong side, a side who have struggled in the Premier League and are about to be relegated back to the Championship. Will Martin Odegaard be fit? He's touch and go as well. Did Martinelli do enough at the weekend to earn a start? 
These are all questions that Mikel Arteta has to ask himself. And these are all questions that Mikel Arteta needs to decide upon. He needs to find the right balance. I really like the idea of Pepe playing, but I want to see Pepe from the left. I want to see Saka from the right. And I hope that Emil Smith-Rowe could play in the number 10 role. I think that would probably be my preferred way to go about it uh, because that would bring the most balance. You know, and, and for me, it's Smith-Rowe or Odegaard. Um, I think having a left footer on the left is imperative if you're going to play a right-footed left back and there's a good chance that Cedric plays there, in which case Pepe and he could could combine, uh, could um, you know, combine and, and, and do a pretty decent job. They've shown that they can do that already. So for me, that's what I would go with. But I'll come on to talk about my lineup in a little bit more detail on tomorrow's lunchtime podcast, where we'll be, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have the latest team news by then as well. And then we can make a more informed prediction uh, with regards to the lineup that we think Mikel Arteta might pick for this one. So lots and lots of questions for Mikel Arteta to think about. As I said, the left back situation, the, um, and then those three positions in behind. I think the midfield pairing picks itself when everybody's fit. Xhaka and Partey, for me, are the two. At centre-back, we're without um, we're without David Luiz. Pablo Mari came in at the weekend. But Pablo Mari, for me, although in Mikel Arteta's mind, maybe he's not first choice. Maybe Gabriel is, is slightly ahead of him in the pecking order. I do feel, though, like Pablo Marie and Rob Holding complement one another better. Will Mikel see it that way? That's another big selection decision that he has to make. Chambers or Bellerin at right back? Who do you go with? So there is so many decisions and so many talking points ahead of this one. And as I say, we're going to address the lineup and we're going to address the team uh, in tomorrow's lunchtime podcast. So uh, make sure you've got your notifications on and you come and join us for that. Don't forget, if you haven't already, smash the like button, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, we'd love to have you on board as a member as well. If you'd like to do so, click on the link in the description. You'd be supporting me and the channel, helping me to bring you more Arsenal content on a daily basis as we're currently doing. So I'd love to have your support. Get some of your questions into the live chat. I'd love to hear from some of you guys as well. We've got around about 15 minutes uh, remaining of the stream. So get involved in the chat box. And uh, let's see, um, let's see what you guys have to say. Ashton says, "How doesn't the youth academy have a left back or better right backs? Our recruitment is a complete joke." There's been talk of of Joel Lopez coming in at left back. You know, that's been one of the ideas that I think people have toyed with over the last few weeks when we've been dealing with this absence of Kieran Tierney. It's, it's, it's a frequent occurrence the absence of Kieran Tierney. And that's why it's imperative that in the summer we address that position, I think. And, you know, whoever it is that comes in, a lot of people have kind of made the argument, who wants to come in and play second fiddle to Kieran Tierney? Well, the reality is whoever that player is, they're going to get a fair amount of game time. They're going to get their fair share of minutes because Kieran Tierney has shown, not just at Arsenal, but during his time at Celtic as well, that he breaks down and he breaks down very, very often. And that's a problem for Arsenal Football Club. It really, really is. I don't think Arsenal managed the left-back situation well. We've got Ser Kalasinac out on loan. 
Whatever you think about him, he is a natural left back. We've got Ainsley Maitland-Niles out on loan, another player capable of deputising in that position. So we haven't managed that position very well. And it just feels like the likes of Joel Lopez are just a little bit short, just not quite at the level needed to break into that first team. So there's a lot to consider. There's a lot to think about. I keep saying that, but there really, really is. And the more I talk about it, the more apparent it becomes that Mikel Arteta has got some serious decisions to make in a game that could shape his Arsenal career going forward. It really, really could, because if Arsenal were to go on and win the Europa League, and I know we're we're only at the quarterfinal stage yet, but if we were to go on and win it, he'd have delivered a second trophy in consecutive seasons. He'd have restored Arsenal's Champions League status. And it would silence a lot of the noise around about whether he is or he isn't taking this team forward. So that would be massive for Mikel Arteta. I think he he recognises it. It's almost judgment day for Mikel Arteta because if he loses this and he does crash out, then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, it becomes a far more toxic environment to work in. Yes, more toxic than it already is. It becomes a bigger task because the level of pressure on him going into the second season, his second full season will have increased. And I think it just sets a bad tone going into the new campaign. So I think he needs to dig himself out of jail. And look, if he was in... um you know, if he was in sixth position in the Premier League right now, let's be realistic. If he was in sixth position in the Premier League and Arsenal went out of the Europa League in the quarterfinal or semi-final stages, would it be the end of the world? Probably not. Because around about sixth is probably where Arsenal should be right now. And it's where, you know, it it, it would be a a good reflection of, of our squad, in my opinion. But the fact that we're outside of that means we've underachieved in the league. And the fact that we've underachieved in the league obviously increases the pressure on us to deliver in alternative competitions. We went out of the Carabao Cup. We went out of the FA Cup. So the Europa League very much is the last chance saloon. But if you'd have offered me to be in any of the cup competitions, this is the one I would have preferred to have stayed in the longest because this is the one that can potentially get you back into the UEFA Champions League. The FA Cup doesn't offer that. The Carabao Cup certainly doesn't offer that. So I think he was right to prioritise this cup competition over some of the others. But if he doesn't go on to at least compete for it, if he doesn't go on to at least give it a real go, then I think, um, I think for me, you know, that 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 prioritization will not be justified. And, and and that's the problem. And that's another thing that you can add to the list of, of things that people feel Mikel Arteta has got wrong since he took over the reins at the Emirates Stadium. Omar says, Harry, do you think Arteta's job is on the line tomorrow? For me, it is now or never for him. I don't think he will be sacked if Arsenal go out of the Europa League tomorrow, if that's what you're asking me, Omar. I think that Mikel Arteta will start next season as the Arsenal boss, regardless of what happens in this competition. Am I saying that that is 100% the way it should be or that it's right? Not necessarily. I believe he should stay. But if he doesn't go far, at least to the semi-final of the Europa League, if he doesn't get to the final of the Europa League even, 
I think that he should be under pressure from the start of next season. And that goes back to the point I was making about how failure to win this competition just increases the pressure on him from the start of the next campaign and maybe makes his job a little bit untenable. I don't know. But if you're asking me if I think the board will sack him off the back of an Arsenal exit tomorrow, then my answer is no. Mikel Arteta is not going anywhere, um, regardless of what happens tomorrow, in my opinion, at least not for now. Inter says uh, he has to win it or he's sacked. Uh, Michane says Arteta's job is never on the line with this board. Omar says he should be sacked, but won't be. Um, and Ashton says there's no pressure on the manager, Harry. Look, I think there is pressure on Mikel Arteta. Let's not, you know, there is pressure on Mikel Arteta right now. Let's not kid ourselves. It's it, There's pressure on him from, um, you know, there will be pressure on him from the football club, I think. Maybe not as much as we'd like them to be putting him under, but there will be a degree of pressure. Let's not get away from that. Uh, Sam says we just need to be clinical. As much as a loss will be blamed on Arteta, last week's missed chances were a joke and anyone in our squad should be able to convert those chances. Completely agree. Completely agree. I think it's, you know, obviously as a football manager, you are responsible for the results of your team. But I think football is far more complex than that. I think football is... Yeah, more complex than that. And I, and I think people probably overlook some of the other factors. And if we were to go out tomorrow, then you would probably have to say, unless we get completely battered, that the damage was done in the first leg at the Emirates Stadium. But how people can look back at that first leg at the Emirates Stadium and blame Mikel Arteta. I've said it before. He set us up in a way. We created chances. We didn't concede chances, barring one right at the death, which was of our own making, by the way. So it's, um, it's, you know, it's difficult for me to put the blame solely at his, at his feet. And that's the reality. Um, Labby says, uh, let's be honest here, even if we make it in the UCL, we would get battered by Bayern or PSG. The real problem is the board. If Arteta goes, we're stuck in an endless cycle. I'm, I, I'm not desperate for Arsenal to get in the Champions League because I think that Arsenal can win the Champions League. I'm not desperate for Arsenal to get in the Champions League because I think that we're we'll be able to compete with the likes of Bayern or Paris Saint-Germain or Real Madrid. I'm desperate for Arsenal to get back in the Champions League because I think that that would accelerate the process, i.e. give us the funds to go and buy the players, not just the funds, but also give us the pulling power by being, you know, being a Champions League club is a status thing. I just think that it would, it would help us get to where we need to get to quicker. And you'd almost write off the Champions League campaign and you'd probably look at it and say, well, if we progress past the group stage, all good. If we got knocked out in the round of 16, that's probably what you'd expect. But for me, it's not about the, the prospects of winning the Champions League. It's about the benefits that come from being part of the Champions League. Sam says, one of the biggest games we've had in ages and fans are obsessed with Arteta getting sacked rather than supporting the team. To a degree, I agree with this. 
And and this is why I said earlier in the pod, I just urge Arsenal fans, just get behind the team and the manager, whether you like him or not. I was behind Unai Emery in the Europa League final. I didn't like the geezer, never did from the beginning, never really saw the hype. But I backed him because it was Arsenal Football Club and we were in the Europa League final and I wanted Unai Emery as much as anyone to win that final. I wanted Arsenal to taste European glory. So we have to put all of this to one side for now and just focus solely on what happens tomorrow and take it from there. I'll pick up uh, one or two more points from the chat. So get your uh, thoughts in there before uh, I jump off. Um, and uh, let's uh, let's continue to try and, uh, you know, what's the word? Let's continue to try and gear ourselves up for this huge, huge game. Huge, huge game that is coming up. Um, Josh Hunter says, I want to see that he's doing the best he can do with a squad. Now that Balogun has signed a new deal, he should be on the bench. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if he's not, are we going to lose our shit about it? Is it worth losing our shit about? Following Balogun, who hasn't featured in the Premier League once this season, will it be the end of the world if he's not on the bench? He's not... I, I don't know. I... I understand why he wasn't picking him. You know, the guy was not committing his future to the club. There were so many rumours of him going elsewhere. And Mikel Arteta had other players who were more committed um, at his disposal. He didn't even give Eddie Nketiah a go, who he he played quite frequently in the start of the campaign. And who, for whatever you think about his quality, wasn't quite at the level required in terms of his ability. Uh, sorry, for whatever you think about his ability and quality, he his attitude was excellent. But that's not just enough. You know, that's not enough um, for me. So what do you do with Balogun? The contract's not done yet. Um, you know, we, we think it's very close. Mikel Arteta alluded to that fact earlier, earlier on. But does that mean that he should be thrown into the mix tomorrow? Uh, I'm not sure. Look, if he does great, Brilliant. I don't mind seeing him there. But if he doesn't throw him into the mix, then I'm not going to be jumping on his back over it. Um, Labby says, uh, how confident are you for tomorrow? I'm about 90%. I'm not 90%. I'm 60%. Um, I'm 60% confident. I'm feeling really nervous. I would have told you 75% 24 hours ago, but as the game's edging closer, it's feeling... Um, it's feeling worse and worse, to be honest. Vishal says, uh, how many reinforcements will it take to realistically compete with the likes of Liverpool? And the real question is, will the board step up? I think we're three top players away from competing. Three top players. Top players, that is. When I say top players, I mean players in the category of Martin Odegaard. Can we get a few of them in the door? It's all about finance, Vishal. That's the, that's the big thing here. Um, and it's the thing that people refuse to acknowledge. And that's what frustrates me. Because you're looking at, you know, you look at the players that Mikel Arteta has brought in and some of them have been, you know, really good. I've heard people criticise the signing of Cedric. I've heard people criticise the signing of Matt Ryan. Do you think that Mikel Arteta went to bed at night dreaming about signing 
Brighton's reserve goalkeeper on loan? Do you think he went to bed at night dreaming about bringing in Renarsson or Cedric on a free transfer? No, he, he, his arms are tied behind his back. That's the problem. Financially, Arsenal have been mismanaged so badly over the years that we're now in a position where we are struggling. And that's the reality of it. Right, I'm going to leave it there for now. And I'll be back tomorrow with my lineup and prediction around about lunchtime. And uh, tomorrow the, tomorrow is later today for those of you listening on the audio. And I will, uh, I will catch you guys as well for the live watch along, which we'll be doing of the game as well as our post-match reaction after the game. So lots and lots of content to come tomorrow. Make sure you're subscribed if you haven't already. Make sure you hit the like button on your way out. It doesn't cost a thing. And uh, if you're interested in becoming a member, click on the link in the description. I'll catch you all tomorrow. Until then, ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.